The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Today is is um, today it seems worse than that to me. Now. We're going to see something about Jesus and family, and the way that he talks about family is incredibly important for us as a church family, because Jesus was building a family not by DNA blood, but by his blood, family that is not only for this lifetime, but for all eternal life. So we're going to pray. We're going to read in Mark chapter 3, verse 31. If you want to start flipping or scrolling, if you have a bulletin, the scripture is right there in your bulletin this week, because it's a shorter passage. I thought I'd print that and be kind to you all. So as you're flipping there, I'm going to pray us in. Lord, today, um, with all of the brokenness that can be family, I ask that you would descend and teach us. And Lord, don't just teach us what a God-centered church family looks like. Father, inspire us to be a part of it. Lord, don't let us sit idly by as spectators I pray that we would be the church, that we would never uh, call this building a church building. This is just where we, the church, gather. Lord, today, I need you to speak powerfully. I pray that those who are uh, maybe here for the first time, Lord, I pray that those who may be wondering what is this Christianity about, that, that we would be able to walk free of the the chains of religiosity and see what it is like to be in your family with a loving dad and brothers and sisters who will lift us up no matter what. So speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, all God's kids said. Mark 3, 31, this is Jesus coming on the tail of, of casting out demons, healing people, and last uh, week, there was a brief verse where his mother said, he's, his family said, Jesus is out of his mind, and they went to seize him. You, you know you're in a bad place when your mother comes to get you, right? Uh, I just need to preface that. There was a, a season in my life where I was a terrible human being. Now I'm just less terrible by the grace of Jesus. Um, but I'd run away from home. It had been a number of months, and I had some bad habits. Um, one of them was stealing. And I went to a Sears, and I'd stole some things. And at this time, when I was running, I had to run away. I ended up living in my grandparents' back house. And I only have one legal guardian, my mother. And I got caught stealing. So I was there in the security office at Sears. For those of you guys who don't know what Sears is, there used to be these stores called brick-and-mortar stores. Um, and you would actually walk to them to buy things. And, um, and they said, well, you're going to go. You're going to juvenile detention center unless your legal guardian comes and picks you up. I said, oh, no. I ain't seen her for a long time. It had been a few months. I thought, she's going to leave me here. So I called her. I said, Mom, I'm in trouble. I need you to come and get me. And, and she did one of the most amazing things that day. She came in, and we hadn't talked to each other in months. I was a terrible human. I had said terrible things to her in my, my mid-teen years. And she just said, I'm here. And she signed the things and got me, and, and we left. And she said, you're, com you're coming back home. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm coming back home. And that, for me, that moment stands because there wasn't a, uh, you're grounded. You know, when I grew up, I, it was a single mom most of my life growing up. So when you have a single mom, you know, they have to escalate discipline. So it's not you're grounded for a week. My mother grounded me for life at least 37 times. You're grounded. How long, mom? For life. 
There was none of that this time. It was, I love you. Come home. Come home. And I had been eating Captain Crunch for the last three and a half months for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I was ready to come home anyway. But that love she showed me that day was a, a picture of, of a, a true family. And I want us to hold on to that type of thing in contrast with what happens when we have unhealthy family. Because here's what Jesus says. His mother and his brothers came standing outside. Jesus is teaching. He's talking to people who are following him, who are listening to him in his family, his, his blood-related family, his 23andMe, his Ancestry.com family is outside. They sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them. Dude, this is cold. If you're the mom hearing this, this is breaking your heart. He answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's read that with me out loud right now. This is verse 35. For whoever does the will of God. No, 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 wait, stop. We're going to read together. Ready? It's on the screen behind me, right? Verse 35, bottom line. Here we go. Three, two, one. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Okay. So we have to talk about family today. Some of us grew up in, in difficult family situations. We didn't have a lot, you didn't have a lot of um, ability to shape your family situation. We've talked about this many, many times. You didn't control when you were born, to which parents you were born, to what type of life you were born into. But what you have today is an opportunity to choose what type of family you can be in the family of God. And here's a very interesting thing. If you want to know who is the family of God, it's whoever does the will of God. So you should be asking yourself a very, very specific question. What does it mean to do the will of God? So if I were to ask you that today, now this is not one of those rhetorical moments. This is one where I could see you and you could see me. Somebody, help me out. What does it mean to do the will of God? Care for others. How? Feeding them, giving them clothes. Okay? I can't wear those jeans you're wearing today. I saw you when I was behind you. I thought, I can't wear those. <laughs> so you can keep that. You couldn't wear mine. You'd be swimming. What else? What, else? what does it mean to, to do the will of God? Love one another. Forgive. Extend grace. What was that over here? Follow his commandments. Like super basic ones, right? Because we've all followed the Ten Commandments perfectly, right? Any murderers in the house? Raise your hand. Just, I'm doing this for your pew neighbor, so if you do raise your hand, they could scoot over a chair. But I'm sure that in this room, we've got some thieves. I'm sure that in this room, we've got some liars, right? No liars in this room. Any, any husbands have the question posed to them? How does this make me look? <laughs> Y'all are busted. Uh-huh. So that, that's one of the commands. That's in the Big Ten. We failed. But that's part of what it means to do the will of God. I've got some verses I'm just going to jam through. You don't have to write these down. They're in your bulletin in the bottom. A lot of these are. So the first thing to do, when, it, when the Bible's talking about doing the work of God, doing the will of God, 
It says, what is it to do the work of God, but to believe in the one whom he has sent? If you want access into this whole thing that we are calling the family of God, also known as the church, where God is our loving father and we are brothers and sisters, you have to enter in through the door. And the entrance into that door is not how amazing you are. It's not how well you forgive. It's not the sins you have done or are doing. The way to enter into the family of God is to believe in the one whom God has sent. That's it. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the entry point. We should never expect people outside of the family of God to live according to the rules of the family of God. Now, that doesn't mean that it wouldn't be beneficial for them. But there's a little thing coming up this week. It's on Tuesday. Anyone know what it is? Spoiler alert, election day. And you guys, our country is in such a healthy place politically. It's full of peace and kindness. There's no teams. We're all looking out for the best of our country. It's the least division I've ever seen in any election. You're not supposed to lie in church. So, so here's what I want to I pose this to you. Because there, there are so many things tied into religion and politics. And these are my, two of my favorite subjects. As soon as I became a follower of Jesus, I was, I was fascinated. I've always been fascinated by government and then religion. You people say, what do you avoid at the dinner table? Religion and politics. Invite me over for dinner. Those are my go-to moves. I'm going to find a way into that conversation. You're going to be talking about Fortnite, and I'm going to get it to, like, the forts of the Democrats and Republicans. You're going to talk about legislation of morality, and I want to get to the, the gospel penetrating our hearts and changing us. But in this idea... Uh, of the election and family and, and forgiveness and grace and caring for others, I, need, I just need to remind you that when God instituted a family, it's above every political party you'll ever be affiliated with. It's above every church denomination or non-denomination that, that you will ever be affiliated with. To be in the family of God is to be in, in the presence of a father who says, I'm here for you. I have a way of living that transcends, that is above all of these earthly ways of living. And here's the amazing thing about it. It's more beautiful, I think, than any system uh, that has ever existed. And not just politically. I'm talking about religion. Because there are some other religions that have very nice people. I've, uh, I've been to Buddhist uh, temples often because there are a lot of them that serve free vegan lunches. So anytime you say free lunch, I will go. I don't care if you're Buddhist, Hindu, whatever. I'm down for a good free lunch. And there was this one where I went in Los Angeles, and I just I kept hammering this place because it was good food and different food I'd never had. And it was a whole bunch of people. None of them believed in Jesus. And I said, hey, I believe in Jesus. And they said, well, you can come here and talk to us about Jesus, and we'll feed you. I said, this is my dream. Man, they were so nice. I also uh, have had many, many friends in what's called the Latter-day Saint Church. I'm just going to give you guys a heads up. Mormons are nicer than all of us. And you bet, well, no, Pastor Ron, I am so nice. You have not met a Mormon. And I'm not, I'm, I'm saying this in the positive sense. The, the difficult side is that sometimes people are being nice because they're afraid of what they will or will not get in the next life. As followers of Jesus, we can be kind because our Father was kind to us because there is nothing to open the door other than to believe in Jesus, the one whom he has sent. 
And once you enter in that door, something happens in your heart. There's a heart change. Before I ran away and was taken back into my family with my mother, I said awful things. I did awful things. I treated people awfully. And then when, when I came back in, there wasn't a full heart change because I had not yet received Jesus into my life. I was still angry. I was still throwing my alarm clocks at the walls and, and going through these tantrums. I still had a mouth on me. But man, you could bet I was pretty kind to my mother for a good chunk of time there. I wasn't, I wasn't back-talking her. She rescued me. She didn't ask anything of me. She didn't say, when you get home now, you're going to paint the house. You're going to vacuum every Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You're on trash duty from now until you graduate retirement home. She didn't say that. She just said, come home. Be part of this family. God invites you in today to be part of his family. And when you do, when you enter in, there's something that changes. I wanted to be a part of the family when I'd received this type of grace and forgiveness. So Psalm 143, 10, became part of my heart toward my family, my mother. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I wanted to learn. I wanted to say, what does it mean to be a good son? If you enter into the family of God, it's not a matter of begrudgingly going in. It's so often that I hear people say, Christianity, it's, it's not for me. I just want to, <laughs> I hate this one, I just want to have fun. And by that, they mean like, I just want to get drunk. I just want to have sex with who I want to have sex with. I don't want these moral constraints. And I'm like, look, man, if you think that that's what Christianity is, you've got this way wrong. Yes, yes, please, by all means, don't go contracting a bunch of STDs. Like, I don't think those are fun. What I want us to do is to understand that the depth of family is so much more than just the rules. Because every family should have rules. You know those things that they have on Pinterest? If you don't know what Pinterest is, either you're a man or you're a man. Um, <laughs> on Pinterest, they've got these things. In this family, we, and you can just search that on Pinterest, and it'll say, we do forgiveness. We do hugs. We do second chances. And there's Disney versions. It's just like a, usually it's like a piece of wood with some stickers on it to say the rules of your family. In God's family, we sit in the love of God and the grace of God, and we say, thank you for all that you've done. And the more that you sit in that place, I believe the more you're inclined to live for him. Even this morning, someone was having a conversation with me, and, uh, and anyone blown it here this last week? Anyone besides me? Okay. This person and myself, we've all blown it. And, and they were saying, you know, I was do we need to talk about anything? I said, no. What do you mean? What do you need to talk about? I said, well, this, you know, this stuff happened. I said, are you, are you beating yourself up over this? Was Jesus not beat up enough? Was he not lashed enough for you? And the look of just at peace, like, oh, I, I didn't have to worry because Jesus died for, for that thing that I've done, whether it was a, a big thing or a little thing. Jesus has covered all of your sins. And when that type of father is there with you, you are much more inclined to want to live and do things for them. First Thessalonians 5.18, if we're talking about what is the will of God, says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So one of the things that's the will of God is to give thanks. Guess what month this is? It's November. It's not no-shave November. It's Thanksgiving month. It's hard 
to be mad at things you're intentionally seeking to give thanks for. Give thanks this month. Let this month be a beacon to change your life because it is the will of God that you give thanks to him in all things. That you give thanks to God if Thanksgiving goes off without a hitch and everything is cooked perfectly, but you also give thanks to God if you put in a frozen turkey in a deep fryer and it blows off half your house. Give thanks. Give thanks to God whether you're spending Thanksgiving alone or whether you're with a bunch of people. And that could go either way. Like as someone who's, I'm, I'm more introverted than many of you may think, so anytime I get around lots of people, I just go into my little shell. It drains me. My wife, I, I just sneak away. I literally, will be family will be there on Thanksgiving, and I'll just walk right upstairs. And my wife will come up and find me just sleeping with a book on my chest. What are you doing? Family's here. I'm giving thanks for naps. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, another will of God thing, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Pastor, there it is. The will of God is to abstain from sexual immorality. Of course. Like if, put it in these terms. Next week, you guys, or this week, I'm going to have a 10-year-old. I am not about this life. Some of y'all with preteens, I need your help. Because my kid's turning 10. He comes up to me on a monthly basis and goes like this. Daddy, I found a hair. <laughs> I don't even look because he's still a quarter Asian. So I say, no, you didn't. <laughs> I know my DNA. <laughs> I've been growing this beard out for 17 years. Okay, I know this. Well, Daddy, I'm 10 this week. And Jackson says, Daddy, I think 10 is when you are he says it like a British person, mature. I'm like, dude, until you learn to talk like an American, you are not mature. <laughs> and I'm thinking about his, um, his, his purity. Because it, part of the will of God and part of my will as a father, I want my kids to grow up with a healthy view of sexuality. Not with a religious view. Because there are many, many people that, that I've known from when I became a follower of Jesus in high school to when I became a pastor where sexuality is broken because the church just never talked about it. It was a vacuum. Despite the fact that we have what I think is one of the greatest books about sexual experience and romance in all of history, the Song of Songs, it is amazing. We're going to do a, a, like a weekend study on this one of these days, I promise you, and you're going to understand what it means when you can go to your wife and tell her, that her, her teeth are like freshly shorn sheep. When you can tell your wife that her, her neck is the Tower of David. When you can tell your wife that her, this is in the Bible, don't judge me, her breasts are like twin fawns of a gazelle. B baby gazelles. What do you do when you see baby gazelles? No, that's not what you do. When you see them at a petting zoo, you pet them. That's in the Bible. Don't judge me. I, I don't want to teach my children a broken, vacuumless view of sexuality. I want to teach them to abstain from sexual immorality. I want to teach my son, my 10-year-old son, that when he gets married, when he gets married, that, that's a gift for him to enjoy. I want to teach my son, when, when he's 10, 11, 12, why things like pornography rob him. Why they, they give you short-term pleasure 
at the expense of long-term sexual stability and happiness and joy. I want to teach him these things, and he's 10 now. He's 10. I've been thinking about this. Statistically, you, you spend 80% of the time, this is just on average, 80% of the time you spend with your children is completed by the time they graduate high school. So about 18 years, 80% of the time you're ever going to see them is done. Because they graduate, they go, to, they, call, they go to college, they get married. If it's a son and they marry a girl that, that doesn't like you, mother-in-laws, you are out of luck. So I'm thinking, I've, I've already spent... I'm over the 40% mark. 40% of the time I, I ever get to pour into Jackson, love Jackson, teach Jackson, equip Jackson, it's gone now. 40%. Coming up on 50% in the next couple of years. Half of the time I will spend with my son is just gone. It's the blink of an eye. Have I equipped him to do the will of God in regards to giving thanks? Each night we do prayers and I change it up. Some nights we do a, a game with me and the boys called... Um, thank you, God, where we just go until someone can't go and they lose, which is probably a bad way to teach prayer because we're like, ah, you lost. But we say, thank you, God, for, and you fill in the blank. And I, I've shared this. It gets ridiculous. Like Silas would be like, thank you, God, for the color blue because you can't repeat, and you got to go within like a couple seconds or you're out. And the other two go until there's a victor in prayer. That's really healthy, I know. <laughs> but I want to teach them to give thanks. I want to teach Jackson and, and Silas because he's turning seven on Monday want to teach him because the average age of exposure to, to pornography is eight. Terrify me much. And, and the boys, like, there's just something weird culturally where, like, I'm trying to teach my boys, here's a healthy view because it, the will of God is to say, here's what healthy sexuality looks like. Love your wife. Romance your wife. Care for your wife. And then I have this girl growing up. I've got two of them, but one dressed up as Moana. And before you cite cultural appropriation, let me remind you, I am half Pacific Islander, so though my daughter looks like just an average white girl, she's got a quarter of the island in her. Okay? So she dressed up as Moana, and my wife posted this thing on Facebook. They did like this modeling shoot when I was not present because I would have shut it down. <laughs> There's about 10 pictures of my daughter with her crimpy hair and her Moana dress in her midriff. It's like, is that even biblical? And she's like, like doing these things like, She wore mascara on Halloween, and then she wore it the next day. I was like, Amy, you and I need a conversation. She's five. She's five, and she looks not okay. But it's so cute. Her eyelashes are so long. Her sin list will be longer. <laughs> Take that off of her eyes. And it's just out of fear because I want to, all this to say, in my family, we're teaching certain family values. Many of them, I pray, are, are, are directed from God. Some of them I know that I've made up because my dad was in and out of my life, and I had a stepdad and then in and out, and then by the time my mom married my stepdad, who I love and adore now, I was already 16, 17, whatever it was. So it was me and my mom, we just had to make it, made our way through. So this whole dad thing, I'm just winging it. I'm like in the Bible, I should try this. I go, oh, no, that's CPS worthy. Don't do that. But we have rules in the, God, the family of God. And this idea of the will of God, it can be very difficult because there's two wills of God. How many wills are there? 
two wills. And, and you could read theologically. I'm just going to give the, the intermediate Bible nerds, there's two wills. And to break it all the way down just to like our plain English language, there's a shall be will of God, the things that, that will come to pass, and you cannot change them. In Ephesians, it says, God works all things after the counsel of his own will. Everything will end up in the end as God has planned it, ordained it, predestined it, whatever churchy word you want to use. Psalm 115 uh, verse 3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. There is nothing that we can do to thwart his will. That's the shall be. And then there's the should be will of God. These are the things like in Thessalonians when it says, for this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is the should-be will of God. The ideal way to live is to forgive others deeply. The ideal way to live is to care for the orphans and the widows and the poor among us. The ideal way to live is to extend forgiveness because you were forgiven. But not all of us do that. The ideal way to live is not to murder, steal, or lie. The ideal way to live is not to covet your neighbor's Tesla. That was a modern translation for donkey. In, in God's family, we begin to delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. It's been amazing to see how just in, in your earthly families, if you, if you do things, you get a response out of your children that, is, that can be very different, right? So um, I think I shared with you guys about Jackson getting bullied a little bit in school. Um, this kid's been punching him. Okay, and I said, Jackson, tell your teacher. He said, I told him. Teacher said, just don't go by him. I was like, are you sure you're telling him that this kid's hitting you like in the face and in the gut? He's like, I tell him, I tell him. I'm like, okay. And my mom is like, you got to go to the school right now. And I'm like, I didn't grow up in that era, mom. I grew up in the era where you get your kids boxing gloves. You teach them arm bars, choke holds, and how to knock people out with a good chin shot. So we got these gloves. And I got the little pads. So I'm teaching him. Like jab, jab, cross. I'm teaching him hooks, uppercuts. I'm showing him what to do because he's taller. I'm like, here's what you do. When the kid comes in to punch, you go in like this. You get his arm under you. So you trap his arm under here, and you just start going to town on his. And then I'm thinking, this probably isn't biblical. As I'm doing this, I'm like, yeah, this is it. But I, some of you are like, it's, it's a wrath version of God's family. But then I, I started to realize, like, you know, when I, when I interact with Jackson a certain way, and just like as a father, and this is to, to you fathers specifically, um, and I was raised by a mother. Like I, I'm all for mom. Moms are my favorite. Moms are my jam. My mom was my mom-dad combo. But fathers, I need you to understand that, that the way that you raise, and this is grandfathers too, the way that you pour into children that are younger, like 8, 9, 10, and younger, the way that fathers and grandfathers specifically pour into young boys and girls will shape the way they view God for the rest of their life. Because there comes a switch, and as I was a youth pastor for many, 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 many years, and the switch I saw was whatever the father and grandfather roles were to a child, they, they gave God that same idea of who he was and is. If it was a demanding, disciplined, angry father, then at some point when they transitioned into understanding God as a father, to them God was an angry, demanding father. If their father was balanced and he, he gave rules and guidance but also extended grace and forgiveness in beautiful ways, then that's what they thought of God. Jackson asked me, he said, Daddy, I'm, I'm scared to get in a fight at school because what if I get in trouble? They will suspend me. So I told him, I said, look, Jackson, 
if you tell the kid to not hit you, please, not hit you, please, and if you tell the teacher, and if they're not doing anything about it, and you keep telling, please don't, I don't want this, and if he keeps attacking you, just pop him once. Just, just, just knock him out. And if you get suspended, however many days you get suspended for, I'm going to take you to Fred's Market for breakfast every day as a reward. No, wait, wait. I don't know if that's right, so don't, don't emulate this. Don't emulate this. But, but the, the, idea, the idea of rewarding our kids and giving them grace when they're broken, because it's, it's very simple. My parenting tactics really boil down to what the Bible is in its entirety. The Old Testament is law. The law of God is meant to break you when you are hard toward God. So if my child or children are hard toward me, they get the law. This is what the law says. And once they're brokenhearted, they get grace. Once they realize that they have fallen short and they've sinned before God, then I extend grace. And I've done this a number of times where my kids get in trouble for something, and sometimes they're brokenhearted right away. I don't even have to tell them what they did was wrong because they already knew it. They already had the law on their heart. And they've come in, and it's happened multiple times with, with both my boys and once with my daughter, where they say, Daddy, I did this. I can't believe I did this. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did this. And every time, if I, if I, if I sense that there's genuine brokenheartedness, I say, get in the car. We're going to Dairy Queen. And I get them an ice cream or a sundae, whatever they want. And every time, they say the same thing. Daddy, why? Why are you doing this? I say, well, because you, you knew that you did something wrong. So I want to show you that I love you. Whether you do something wrong or do something right, it doesn't change my love. I need you to understand that this is how forgiveness works. The wrong things that you have done, the punishment is already on Jesus. So you get mercy. That's all you get in this family. In this family, we do mercy. In this family, we want to please God. In this family, we delight ourselves in the Lord. Some of you don't even know what that means. It means this. For those of you who eat pizza, it's like when you get that perfect piece of pizza and you've been waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. And it finally lands in your plate and you fold it in half because you're a proper pizza eater. If you use a knife and a fork, you need Jesus still. But you fold that piece of pizza in half. You know that feeling you get when the cheese is dripping off and like whatever your favorite meats are, bacon, more bacon, and then just a sprinkle of bacon on top of that. And the cheese is just falling off of the bread and you got to go under to catch it. You guys are like, I'm so hungry right now. Good news, you're in the first service. You get to, get to hammer down on the pizza. After this. That, do you know that delight you get when that, that mozzarella hits your tongue? And you're like, this is the best thing I've ever had. As you enter into God's family, you'll begin to cultivate that sensation for God. That sensation will change you when you're here singing. It won't just be like, all the power of your name. No, it, they, these are the people, and some of them are just Pentecostals, I understand. But these are the people that are like, when that song comes on, their, oh, their eyes are, are clamped. And you, you can see it, even the people that, that aren't Pentecostal, the people that grew up, you know, independent, conservative, Baptist, you can't, they can't even fight it. They're like, ah, oh, Jesus is so good to me. They just do the wiggle waggle. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. There's a delight that happens in God's family because, not because of us mustering it up, ginning it up, but because God loves you so much. And in this family, there are roles. 
and I'm not going to be able to get to all these roles. However, since I'm not going to get to them, I'm just going to start doing what I, I've, I've already begun planning and, and how we're going to shift the chapel family. Because this right here, this is not a, a family, right? Like if this were a family, we would carry one another's burdens like right here, right now. We should do that probably every Sunday. We should go up to someone in our bulletin or on our phones. Like, I'm going to find someone to pray for. How can I pray for you? I'm going to write this in. And you say, I'm going to pray for you and get their phone numbers and text them. How are you doing with this? I've been praying for this. Praying for, for Eliza Nava. Praying for Melissa, who has cancer here. Praying for people coming out of cancer, like Peggy. Praying for people who, who are going through other radical, difficult things. Whether it's a marriage that has just been crushed and destroyed by adultery, or whether it's finances that are hanging by a thread. We have so many needs here, and a true family would be able to do this, but this can't be a true family. I've never seen a family this big. And this is our first service. Like, imagine, that show, like any show where there's like, this couple plus a billion kids. It started with John and Kate plus eight. And I, when I saw that show, I was like, I want eight. And my wife said, no. <laughs> and then you watch the next level shows, like the one with the 2019 whatever, and you're like, this is a train wreck waiting to happen. Some of you guys have that many kids, it seems like. You know, our drummer. You got like 17 kids. The, I don't even know what car you drive. It's not a Jetta. You might as well lease a school bus just to take your, kids, your own kids to school. But even that is not this. And that you can't be a family at this size. That's why, we're, that's why when I said a few weeks back, I'm, I'm getting rid of small groups in 2019. Getting rid of them. People were like, oh, no, why? I said, because we're replacing them. We're making what is more of a biblical expression of church family. Where people can see their roles and what they were equipped and trained to be, where we can have someone who is a, a caring, giving person. We can see the person who's the, the zealous. We're gonna, we want to bring more people into this family. And we have the, the dad figure who can say, man, we gotta, let's make sure we're following these family rules, setting up these guidelines. This is the way that life is best. So as we transition to this, I put in your bulletin some tests you can begin to take to find out where you are gifted. Some of you have already done spiritual gift tests. Others of you may have never not done one. It's in Ephesians 4. It's called the APEST, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher. I'm not going to get into it today because there's going to be videos coming up about this. But I want to I see God activate your role in the family so that you're no longer a spectator but part of a church family that is connected. And, and we're going to move our groups toward this style of living. And you may think, well, I don't want to be involved in a group because I have enough drama in my own family. Fair enough. Because here's the thing about all families. Just because it's a church family doesn't mean you don't have that crazy uncle or that wild grandpa. It actually means the exact same thing, but in the church family, we do grace and forgiveness. In the church family, we do patience. In the church family, we all have our roles and we see them and we live in them for the benefit of the whole family. My brother Trent, who's a grown man now, um, he was always short his whole life. And he's still short by my standards. He's like 5'8". And he milked it being short. I've always, always tall. I was born at 5'3". And I just kept going up from there. And uh, because it was me and my mom most of the time, I, I had to do chores. So when I'm in second grade, I already look like a fifth grader. I'm doing laundry. I'm doing dishes. My brother Trent's growing up. 
and he's like, Mom, I can't reach the dishes. They put him away in the cupboard because he was a little guy. when he, he was, I don't know, this tall when he was like 24. <laughs> he couldn't. He couldn't. He's not at this service, and I wouldn't say it if he was because he just got out of the Army Rangers, and he could kill me now. And he milked it until he was in his teen years. Oh, Mom, I can't reach the dishes. And finally I just said, dude, are you a part of this family or are you not? Because we all have our part to play. And if we all try to be the same thing or if we all just sit and listen to one teacher all the time, we'll end up being lopsided. I would much rather see us, as Ephesians 4 tells us, to grow into the maturity and unity in Christ where we all live out our giftings as part of a family. And that's what we're going to be moving toward in 2019. This family of God where you are freely invited in. There is no checklist you have to complete. There is no gift you have to give. There is no penance you have to pay. You come and confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved and God will be your loving father who on the day where you think that you are about to head into punishment, he will come and pick you up and say, come home. I'm yours and you're mine. This is the offer that's on the table to join the family of God, the true family. When Jesus stood there, said, who are my mother, brothers, and sisters? Is it not you? He meant it. Don't let your shame or guilt hold you back from making that decision. Let's pray. Father, you are good and your love endures forever. Lord, I, I love that you are my dad. And I'll never forget the day that I landed uh, on the west coast of Hawaii and I, I fell down in the sand and I just cried out to you because I didn't need you to be my God. I didn't need you to be a king or, or my boss. I just needed a loving dad. So, Lord, I pray for those in here today who feel like their life has excluded them or, or made it so that they could not possibly be your son or daughter. I pray that today they would understand that it's not about them, that it's all about you, Jesus, and what you've done for us on the cross. And as we enter into this family, Lord, we'll learn your family rules at the pace that biological kids learn our family rules, one year at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time. But I'm so grateful that you are my father and that you have adopted so many of us in this room into your family. For those who are on the fence, Lord, for those who are wondering what it looks like, Put a curiosity spark in their heart so that they have to ask more questions, so that they have to, to write in messages or email me or text me or connect with an elder or another group uh, leader or chapel family member. Lord, don't let us leave if you've put that spark of curiosity in our heart as to what a true church family, beyond the pews, beyond the music, beyond the preaching, beyond that, what it would look like to be in a group that served you and loved you with all that's in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.